0: This is an interesting chapter because it was given at the outset of the church age, actually 10 days before the church age happened, 40 days after the Lord had appeared multiple places, different people, with many convincing proofs is what it says. And then the day of Pentecost will occur 10 days after this event. It's nice that we get some of the chronology in here and what a blessing it is. But the chronology and the form of sequence is more important than what the actually the date is. But when he gives the date, he says, okay, pay attention to it. Forty days. Isn't it interesting about 40 days? Can you think of the number 40 anywhere else in Scripture? As you may have run into, let's see, the Jews run, roamed around for 40 years. Uh, in the wilderness, uh, Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now we got 40 more days. After the resurrection, this is a, this is a neat passage. I always enjoy teaching this. So let's prepare ourselves spiritually to get ourselves ready to take this. Take a look at this portion of the word. Let's pray. Father, it is it is well with our souls, because Father, you have reached through time and space. Your son came, paid a debt that we could not pay, and because of that, we can have peace. Peace of Jerusalem is already available, and people often don't realize that it's found in a person. It's not found in a treaty. And Father, I just pray that the eyes of those who have not not yet turned to you, I pray they'll be open through all the pressure and turmoil that is on the earth now and all that is coming on the earth. So, Father, I pray that, that you will nourish our souls with this portion of your word so we can indeed grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we ask it. Amen. And Luke 24:51 it says, while he was blessing them. This is kind of how Luke closes out the Gospel of Luke. Okay, He's also going to write the book of Acts. Luke is going to write the book of Acts. So he says, okay, it's time to shut down the Gospel of Luke. So he says, while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Okay, That's not hard to understand, is it? He parted from them, he was carried up into heaven. Now, in Acts 1, Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, decides that he's going to explain this a little more as to what happened. So, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11... Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Give me just a second here. There it is. I started saying, I knew I expanded those notes. Why didn't those notes come out? Expanded in my book. Anyway, here we are. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, 11. First verse. The first account, Luke writes, is the word Logos. Interesting that the word for word is used here. And they translated it at the first account. It's the first word. It, logos is used because it, it, it is a it is a word picture that has content and meaning to it. And that's the emphasis behind the word logos. He said, the first word I composed, Theophilus. This is a guy, he's a lover of God. I love this. He wrote, uh, you might remember Luke 1. Oh, beloved Theophilus, I wrote and I tried to put together a chronological event, uh, the events of how it happened uh, in, in the life of Christ. So when we're studying the Gospels and we see that there's overlap, they call them the synoptics, what we do is use Luke as a basis. Because Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, tried to put the events in chronological order. And he tells us that. It's interesting, in the first five verses of Luke, I don't want to take too many side trips, is classical Greek. Very little classical Greek found in the New Testament. Normally it's koine, but he writes it as a treatise to basically, I think, get the attention of the classic Greeks that are out there. It's it's an evangelistic tool. So anyway, he's closing out Luke. There's a couple more verses in Luke 24. But he departed from them. And the the account I composed, Theophilus, Theophilus means lover of God. And there's a discussion, was this really a guy named Theophilus? (laughs) Or was he addressing this to everybody who loved God? (laughs) And he says, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. He said, the first thing, the Gospel of Luke He was writing about what Jesus did. He was writing about his miracles. And he was also trying to encompass his teaching in the process. So that gives us, what's Luke for? The Gospel of Luke, there it is. Okay, Because the author tells us what he was trying to do. In verse 2 it says, Until the day when he was taken up to heaven. And see this, he's picking up here from Luke 24. He started a a new writing. After he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Chosen is eklegobi, and it's a word that means to call out. Ek is from the inside out, lego means to call. It's a common word for speak. We see it all through the New Testament. And he says he had called them out. Okay? He he chose those. Frequently ch- translated as chose. And then people take the word chosen. And then they start reading all kinds of stuff into it. And this is a word that basically means that he called them out. Okay? How did he do it? Well, by means of the gospel. He said, come and follow me and all this. But they always had a choice. It made it clear. You had a whole bunch of disciples at one time, remember? And a bunch of them left him. And he asked Peter, do you want to go too? He, he left it up to them. It was always a matter of choice. In verse 3, he said to these, he also presented. Now presented is parastami. Estami is a word that means to stand, and it means para is alongside. To stand alongside. That's what we were often doing at the break here. We're standing alongside people talking to them. Right? That's how we communicate. And he said, he presented himself alive. He was standing alongside him. After his suffering, the cross, by many convincing proofs. I, I l- love it when the writers of scripture get inspired to use words that, uh, uh, and they only use them in one place. And this word convincing is tekmerion. It's the only place that's used in the New Testament. And it's it's a word technically meaning that which is convincingly established. It is something only Jesus could have done. This is a proof that, if honestly evaluated in any court of law, would have been found to be accurate. That's what it's trying to tell us. Techmarion, and it's since it's the unique, it's a hapax in the New Testament, only used one time. It's something is something only Jesus could have done. Okay. Appearing, and I, I like this word because the allegorists continually try to sneak into the Bible and mess it up. Optonomi is the word. We get optical from it. <laughs> now guess what that has to do with? Visible to the eye. Okay, He didn't come back in spirit. He didn't come back as a, a person written about on a scroll. He literally came back and they literally saw him. To them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of the God again, the pops in there, and again when you're talking when you're talking about Greco-Roman culture and all their many gods and their multiple gods and you know different cities had different gods and goddesses that they had built their temples to and all this other stuff, and so the writers of Scripture are are often very careful to put. The God in there. Whenever the is not used, there's what's called an anarthrous use, uh, and of of the noun, and it is a denotes the quality of the God we serve. But the context has already been established elsewhere, as you're talking about the one God, and it talks about. Of God and doesn't say the God. They didn't mean of all the gods. They didn't mean it at all. And, and instead, it, it just basically is, is uh, saying that, that uh, it's the quality of who He is. So it refers more to the, the character than the individual. And then, verse 4, he says, Gathering them together. This is the, the disciples. This is the people that are still learning. Disciple is a word that means to be a student of. And not just to study. A disciple is a word that means you not only study, you try to imitate. That's what goes with the word disciples. Go and make disciples. We looked at that last week. The command is to, to disciple people. That's what it is designed to do. Make is not actually in there; it just kind of brings us better English. But the word make is poieto is not in there because I can't make anybody a disciple. Go and disciple them. How do you disciple them? Well, I'm reading uh, the little gal's uh, book and how she did things and how she lived and how she lived her life, and it was it's fascinating. I think you'll enjoy it whenever whenever we. Uh, get it but speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of the God now if you study the word kingdom where do you first find a concept of kingdom back in the garden (laughs) does it go all the way through scripture all the way through scripture so what's he talking to them about is this millennial kingdom getting ready to come i don't think so he's giving them instructions the things concerning the kingdom of the God. Gathering them together. Okay, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Very seldom do you see the Lord commanding them to not do anything. But you know, suggestions, sometimes we don't take suggestions very well. And what's the track record of these guys? Okay, when he tells them, And gives them a command to do stuff. They don't often do it. Here he makes it really clear. Go to Jerusalem. Stay there. Okay. He commanded them. Not to leave Jerusalem. But to wait for what the father had promised. Which he said. You have heard from me. How far back did he take them? About six weeks took him back to the night before the cross and he took him to the, the time of the receiving of the holy spirit he is with you he will be in you he will reveal you, to you all things disclose to you things to come okay that's that's what he's taken him back to he said which the the father promised so you're going to have the holy spirit no longer over you covering you As per the age of Israel. He's going to be in you. Ah, Same function of the Holy Spirit. Different base of operations. Different place that he works from. He says. For John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Okay, Actually about ten days. Lord knew exactly when. The disciples might have been able to put it together if they stopped and think about it. But it, he wasn't going to give them a whole lot of details right now. He said, this is the big points. Main things. Keep the main thing. The main thing. Now, baptize means to identify with. Okay, It's not all about getting wet. If you study the word baptism, you go through the scripture, you find there's eight different kinds of baptism. Most of which are dry. Huh. The baptism of Moses. You ever thought about that? What does that mean? That's a dry baptism because they walked through on dry ground. <laughs> See, they didn't get wet. The Egyptians got wet. But they didn't get wet. So baptism is not about getting wet. Baptism is about identification with who? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What did they do? The Father planned it, the Son executed it, the Holy Spirit reveals it. What it, what what is salvation all about in the church? It's being identified with the Person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want the definition of it, read Romans six verses three to six. Okay, we are identified with Him. We are baptized into His death. And burial and resurrection. Now what did that do? He died for our sins. So I'm identifying with the fact that he died for my sins. He was buried. It really happened. And then he rose again on the third day. Ah, So that I might walk in the newness of life. Now the water baptism is fine and good. But water baptism won't save. It is designed for those who are already saved. That are said, I'm identifying with what he did on the cross. I'm identifying. So he says, now, John baptized with water. Look at this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not with water. So sometimes we, get, we read things in that don't need to be there. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You're identified with the person and work. And and things are going to change. That's what he's saying. So verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Now I want you to think about this. Join the group. Go back with me and join the group. We're there with the eleven. Okay. And we're standing there, and here we're talking to the resurrected Lord. Okay. <laughs> and he's saying, You know, something really good is coming on you. Something the Father promised. I told you about already. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Okay, so it's not going to be years and years. It's going to be not many days from now. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm telling you about that now. So they're all going, what about this kingdom thing? <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever had time to offer instruction to other people or not. And then whenever you get past the conversation, and you get asked a question that's totally not related to what the topic of conversation is, okay? And it's uh, as a pastor, I have been amazed over the last forty years to you know, and I, I people make some comment to me, and don't stop making comments to me. I'm telling you, over the last forty-something years, I've had. People come up and say, boy, what you said about so-and-so, that just made so much sense to me. And they give me some explanation that had nothing to do with what I taught. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, the Lord's been talking to him, I guess. <laughs> but, but, uh, and it also says, he doesn't need me. Okay. Because sometimes the applications are every bit as valid and they're very personal, but He doesn't need me. But it's nice, the privilege to participate with Him. That's how we should view things. We're all expendable. So He doesn't really need any one of us, but He invites us all to come along and be disciples. That's the most exciting life that you could possibly have. So Then he says, they said, Lord, is it at this time... You are restoring the kingdom to Israel. Now what he had been talking about for 40 days? It's a kingdom. How much attention have they been paying? Not enough. <laughs> what did he teach him? We don't know. It's not written down. But what we do know is that he spoke a lot about the kingdom found in the Gospels. So he's probably giving him a review. A quick review about the kingdom. Now... <clears throat> Is it at this time? Isn't that a question we tend to ask? What was the important thing here? Holy God is going to be inside of you. <laughs> Don't you grab that? He's going to be inside of you. You're identified. Your salvation is identified with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Messiah. Now that's a lot bigger than whether or not the kingdom's going to be now or not. And yet their question, is it at this time? And verse 7, and he said to them, I love this answer, it is not for you to know, this word for know is gnosis. It's an interesting word, aorist infinitive. We know, uh, a lot of us are familiar with gnosis and epinosis. Gnosis is a common knowledge. Epinosis is knowledge upon knowledge, frequently knowledge that is believed. But gnosis can be a knowledge that comes from experience, not just academically learned. And it means to, to have a knowledge of. It is not for you to know times, the chronos, the chronology. Time is an unfolds chronology. Chronologically. This kingdom that he's talking about is somewhere in the future. And you're not going to know it. You're not going to experience it. And I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen. I have much bigger issues for you to contend with now than is the kingdom now or not. He says, it's not for you to know the times... That's chronology. That's the difference between October 29th, 30th, 31st, November 1st. That's what he's talking about. Seasons is the word kairos. Kairos means they're things that mark a specific period of time. So a season is a period of time known by certain characteristics. And we are blessed with four distinct seasons to be found in the state of Oklahoma. So right now we, it's getting ready for winter. How do we know it's 35 degrees outside and not 105 degrees outside? Okay? There are certain things that mark certain seasons. There are certain events that mark the, the season that will be coming before the millennial kingdom that they're asking about. They're still wanting to know, are you going to come kick these Romans out? See That's what they've been asking for all along. They've asked this question multiple times. That's what led to all of that discourse. Lord, when is it going to happen? Matthew 24, and he says, "It's not for you to know, sound familiar, the times and the seasons, that the Father is fixed by his own authority. He's the one that laid out the plan. He is the planner. The Lord is the executor. So the Father laid out the plan. The Son and Holy Spirit all know about it because they're all omniscient, because they're all God. But the Father's primary role in the Trinity is to lay out the plan. So He said He said it by His own authority. He's, he's got the authority. He said this is the way it's going to work. Verse 8, But you will receive power. Hey, you're not getting the kingdom. Now, that you're talking about. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. Both in Jerusalem. Where do he tell them to go and stay? Jerusalem. And in all Judea. That's south of Jerusalem. Tribe of Judah, Benjamin. Samaria. Oh, no. You know, these, these disciples had their own issues of bias. You remember that? People should, oh golly, they were performing miracles in your name. Should we call down fire out of heaven and wipe them all out? And Jesus said, no, if they're not against me, they're with me. Okay, Learn to make a, make a distinction there. So James and John be ready to call down fire out of heaven for people. Samaria was one of those places they wanted to do that. Who was there? John 4, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, the outcast of outcasts. They didn't want to be in that land. Whenever the Lord took them on an excursion, it was a on-the-job training outing. And he took them out there after he had talked with Nicodemus. He takes them out there and here's this woman at the well in the middle of the day. She's an outcast of outcasts. Because the Samaritans are outcasts. Because all they they accept is the first five books of the Bible. And they, they raised up their own altar and sacrificial system and everything else. Samaria was off limits. The Jews thought they were unclean by walking through their land. But who are they supposed to be witnesses to? Jerusalem. Okay, that's okay. That's familiar. Judea. Oh, that's better yet. Even though Judea is south of where they lived up on Galilee. Samaria. (laughs) You could almost see them going, oh no. (laughs) And then, and even to the remotest part of the earth, has been... uh, Honor serve with VMI because we've we've tasted a little bit of the remotest part of the earth. Uh, the remotest part of the earth. We were in uh, uh, it was with Helen on our one trip together. We're I'm trying to give a illustration of a pilot. When a pilot lands, he doesn't look at the ground. He looks at the horizon. Keep your eyes on the horizon so you land properly. And I'm trying to give that illustration. The people keep a view of the big picture so you don't make mistakes here close. And I'm like this, and it's just blank stares. And I looked at Solo and I said, Do they know what an airplane is? And he said, He asked the pastor, and he went, No. <laughs> Never seen an airplane. And I said, We made it. <laughs> We got to the remotest parts of the earth <laughs> there, but we uh, we've been able to minister in some places and went up on the uh, India uh, Burma border, named Nagaland. It is National Geographic territory. I mean, it is uh, definitely uh, a remote area. And our little guy Timothy, I call him a little guy because he's a head shorter than I am, but he's uh, he came out of Burma and he's moved into Nagaland because that's where he felt the call of the Lord and and it is I'm not sure they have light bulbs there (laughs) because they don't have any electricity they don't need any light bulbs but anyway be his witnesses to the remotest part of the earth in verse 9 it said and after he said these things he was lifted up while they were looking on now, you're with the group now, so you're standing there, and you see Jesus starting to ascend. It's hard to imagine in our mind's eye, right? But you see Jesus starting to ascend into heaven. It says, after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were going looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now we actually have some Christians say this is the UFO that came to pick him up, and he got in, you know, beamed into an alien craft. And I, I remind I remember one of those old Star Trek movies. What does God need with a starship? Interesting question, because this so-called God wanted their starship. And Spock says, "What does God need with a starship?" And I thought, what an enlightening piece of information right there he doesn't need any of the, any of those things and he says a cloud received him out of their out of their sight in verse 10 and as they were gazing intently into the sky it's actually the word heaven that is found here while he was going behold two men in white clothing stood beside them now he didn't just poof and disappear he wasn't just beamed up he went slowly. Okay, And they watched. And here we are standing on this hill watching. How far can we watch him? You know how that thing goes. Is Somebody shoots off a, uh, one of our little rockets and stuff like that. You're going to stand there and watch it just as long as you can watch it. And that's what, that's what we're all doing. We're standing there watching him go in there. And while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Interesting when you see white clothing put on angels, and that's a whole other study all to itself. But here they are, white clothing, denoting purity, perfection. In verse 11, they also said, they, the two guys in white clothing. Jesus was done talking to them at this time. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come future tense middle indicative future is pure prophecy and it's also a promise is it interesting sometimes we think of prophecies and promises as two different things they're not it's a prophecy and it is a promise that he has just rendered He will come in just the same way. Now, just shouldn't be in there. This is the word tropos. It's used 13 times. It means in a similar manner, not in the same way. Okay? So it's not going to be exactly as. As you have watched him go into heaven. The word for watch here, see we had the word optonomai, you really see it with your eyes. This is theaomai. And this we get the word theater from. Okay, you got a theater view of this thing. Okay, just as you have watched him go into heaven, he's going to come in a similar manner. Now, <clears throat> first of all, the promise to Nathaniel was fulfilled. Promise to Nathaniel was fulfilled, and you're going, what promise? We read that a long time ago. It started when Jesus was calling disciples, and Andrew went and told him, and he says, as and. Here he came. Come on. We found the Messiah. Come on, come on. So he comes on and Jesus answered and said to him. Basically he responded. There wasn't a question there. It's an idiom that is used. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Jesus saw him sitting under the fig tree thinking about the angels ascending and descending and Jacob's ladder and he was evidently thinking about Genesis 37: uh, 38 he was thinking not 38 but 37 he was thinking about that and he says, you shall see greater things than these. Then I'm going to show you something greater than what Jacob saw. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He'd made a promise to Nathaniel three and a half years earlier and Nathaniel hadn't seen it yet because he wasn't there even at the transfiguration. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were at the transfiguration. Nathaniel wasn't there. <clears throat> no promise is too small for the Lord to forget. I said that—that's great to know. I mean, that thing could have got buried in history and not even written down. We'd never known about it, right? But He made this little promise to Nathaniel, and He kept it. He kept it. So, no promise is too small for the Lord to forget. Hebrews six ten is kind of an application verse of that. And says, he is not so unjust as to forget the good that you have done in ministering to the saints. Every little thing that you do for him, for his glory, for the right reason, he never forgets. Now, to me, that's really wonderful. Because I've forgotten a lot of things over the years. Some of the things that I've done. Some of the things I want to forget and can't. But some of the things that I, that I have done, good things for people. We don't carry those around. But God's got them all in His storehouses. He knows what you did. One day we'll stand in front of the Lord at the the judgment seat of Christ. To be recompensed for our deeds in the body. Whether they're good and acceptable or worthless. One day we're going to stand there. And every bit of good that we've done is going to be rewarded. That's a pretty neat deal. The Gospel of Luke. Tells us about when Christ left His apostles in, with their orders. That's first two verses here. We're just going through and summarizing this. He, when Christ left His apostles and He gave them their orders, and what was their orders? Well, we know from Matthew 28 is going about making disciples of all the nations. Okay, you're going to get outside of Israel. I want disciples from all the nations. And it's not going to be the kingdom at this time because you have a job to do. Until this job is done and we got a disciple from every nation, it's not done yet. Okay? So you go and do your job, and that's what these angels are saying. What are you standing here for? You've got an assignment. You go back to you go to Jerusalem, you wait there until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you get the power you need to carry these things out. Now, it tells us about when He left His apostles with their orders. He'd appeared to them over a period of 40 days teaching them about the kingdom. That's what He did. That's what we're told in verse 3. Now, the physical kingdom is promised, but it's yet to be. Yet to be. It's a thousand years. And that's part of what we looked at on Wednesday nights. It's a thousand year kingdom. But you have to be a believer to get into it. So there's a spiritual kingdom that he's already the head of. And king of kings and lord of lords. Already around. But the physical kingdom is not there. And leave it to theologians. Theologians can argue over anything and everything. And they do. Now is a thousand years already done? Because some believe that we are post-millennial. And they believe the thousand years. The first thousand years after Christ. That takes us to right about when? The Crusades. What were they trying to do? Install the kingdom. How did that work? Not well. So we find that. There are some that are called premillennial. That's what we are. We don't think the millennium's happened yet. There are some of them basically that are amillennial. They don't think there is a millennial kingdom. They think that t- thousand years in Revelation 20 it just has to do with... You know, th- millennium means a thousand. So they just think that has to do with a figure of speech. And that's how they write it off. So they they don't think there is any such thing as a millennium. There are those that are that are... Uh, actually believe post-millennial from another direction that after, after the thousand years that we have brought in from our goodness and love and grace towards one another and we have had a thousand years of peace, then Jesus will come back after we get the world ready for it. And I keep wondering, what book are they reading? We cannot get the world ready for him. Other than just becoming evil, wicked, mean, and nasty, so he's got to come back and clean it up. But that's not what he's called us to do. Physical kingdom is promised and yet to be. These disciples would not know or experience the times or seasons before the physical kingdom. And I believe fully that's what he's what he's telling them here. The chronology, the the events. Now, four of them know the events from the Olivet Discourse that we've been studying that lead up to the beginning of birth pangs. But these guys aren't going to be there. They're going to be dead. Okay. Now, <clears throat> these disciples wouldn't know or experience. This is an inference, I believe, to the different eras of the church age. Because the word chronology is a sequence of time, season, it's events during that sequence of time. You take the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation two and three, and guess what? It's they're all called a prophecy, Revelation one three. They're all prophetic based on what the scripture says. So they have to, we have to go through the age of Ephesus, the age of Smyrna, the age of Pergamum, Age of Thyatira, Age of Sardis, Age of Philadelphia, and Age of Laodicea. We have to go through those time frames. They wouldn't be around to do that. That's what he's telling them. They don't know anything yet about the seven letters because all of them be gone dead for 30 years before it's revealed to John and recorded in Revelation 2 and 3. So they don't have any knowledge at all and they're not going to experience it. While in their presence, he told them to not leave Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's verses 4 and 5. Till they received the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now the disciples were still clueless about the timing of the kingdom. And all but one would in fact die without additional knowledge. So they ask about it, but they're still clueless. He'd been teaching them about it for 40 days again. And they still hadn't got it. <clears throat> Even though the Lord gave them information during the Olivet uh, Discourse the week of the cross. So they're not going to get any additional knowledge. But information about the kingdom Matthew 24, Mark, Mark 13, Luke 21 He gave them information about the kingdom during the Olivet Discourse. So they're not going to get any more is what He's telling them. You've, you've, been getting, you've got it already. Now, if, they're, if they start thinking, they'll go, He promised us, and when we got the Holy Spirit, He'd bring to mind all that I said to you, that Jesus said to them. So if they just go, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and they get to the day of Pentecost, and they're like, hey, hey, He said He'd help me remember. he better than it. Prevence questionable anyway. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is not. He said, I'm gonna help you remember all the stuff that happened. Now see, that's part of their evangelistic toolkit. Because what people want to hear quite frequently is what's the Lord done in your life? What's he done for you? You know, can you write a can you write a personal testimony that's short and simple? A lot of us, if we're asked to do that, we're going to tell them how to build a watch. And all they want to know is what time is it. What difference has he made in your life? And sometimes it's a good idea. It's a good practice. Sit down and and write down half a page or less uh, or in large print for most of us. Sit down and write it down and then go through it and somebody asks you what difference has the Lord made in your life? Don't need to pull it out and read it. You've already lived it. And at that moment in time, you ask for wisdom and turn it over to the Lord and open your mouth. Okay, that's, I believe, what we're called to do. So <clears throat> he had given them information before the cross. They visibly watched him taken into a cloud. Acts nine. that's what it says. They visibly, they saw it with their eyes. It was kind of a theater spectacle. And they just kept watching, fascinated by what they had witnessed. That's Acts 1.10. They kept looking up into the sky, wondering if he's going to come back. <laughs> the ascension set the pattern for the rapture. The ascension set the pattern for the rapture. Acts 1.11 He's going to come in a similar manner. So how important is this little passage in Acts before we get started off into the Acts of the Holy Spirit as we find the next 28 chapters of the book of Acts? What do we find? Well, you compare it with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18. We actually had, Helen and I had that put on our headstone. So I thought, well maybe somebody go, what does that say? While they're roaming around the cemetery looking for things to steal. But <clears throat> they, and they find it, and it says, and they go to read, hmm, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. Dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet him in the clouds of the sky. Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. comfort one another with these words. For believers who have passed on and died, that is a passage for us, for our loved ones. It says, and guess what? They'll get to do it first. It's a pure sequence of events that is found in the Greek text. That's there. They will stand up, they will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. To meet them in the clouds of the sky. The word caught up is herpazo. That is translated in the Latin is repare, And that's where we stole the word rapture from. That's where it came from. But as you study this word and track it, track it down, what you find out, you don't have a choice to stay behind. If you keep reading in 1 Thessalonians 5, some people are awake and some people are asleep when it happens. And I'm not just talking about physically, spiritually. Whether we are awake or asleep. When he comes back. And that trumpet sounds. And an angelic shout happens. And I'm. What's the Lord going to say? Is he going to say what he said. When he pulled Lazarus out of the grave? I don't know. Maybe the same words. That would be cool. That would be cool. Because it would send people going. What does that word mean? Okay. Because I think the whole world is going to hear it. And the dead in Christ will stand up. Now, I just, Holy Spirit brought to mind in India, Christians are not in good shape. People don't like them. The Hindus don't like them. The Catholic Church has been there for centuries, it's already been there. Who gets to have a cemetery in India? The Catholics. They're protected. Having a Christian cemetery is a whole different thing, and as a result, most of the the, the Christians just get cremated. That's normally what happens. But having a, a a Christian dying now, can you imagine having having this Catholic cemetery? And I know they're believers in the Catholic Church, so I know that whenever this shout happens in these pagan countries, <laughs> it's the zombie apocalypse. They, they are going to stand up first. Okay? Then we, believers, who are alive and remain, will be caught up for a royal gathering in the sky. This is going to be a great time. It's going to be a great time. In John 14, verses 1 to 3, we probably know these passages already. John 14, Let not your heart be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Who's this? The disciples in the upper room, night before the cross. And I'm going to come back and get you and bring you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Some people say Jesus didn't teach the rapture, taught it right there, night before the cross. Because the church see was a mystery. And it needed to stay a mystery according to the plan of God until the appropriate time. And the appropriate time, clock started ticking the next day when he was betrayed and led through the trials and taken to the cross. So he says, Here, I'm coming back for you guys. I'm going to bring you. He makes it very personal because they're the start of the church. Interesting that Judas wasn't there. He'd already gone. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 58, we've been through this recently. Let's read it again though. Because when I went through it, I went slow. Like, you know, I know I bore some of you to tears with the slowness of, of going through this. But part of what we do is we cover these passages again, and we'll do it quickly. And hopefully it'll trigger more information as we do. 1 Corinthians 15.50-58 50 I say this brethren flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable not during the church age okay? why can we not inherit the kingdom we'll be gone we'll have to be brought back for the inheritance in the, in the kingdom of God behold I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed we are living believers that he's talking about. But many people take that and say Paul was expecting the rapture at any time. I personally don't think so. I think he's just talking there in a, in a we that we living believers, whoever's alive then. will be changed. That's a guarantee in a moment. The twinkling of an eye. The last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable has to put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. And when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, this mortal will have put on immortality. Then it will come about the saying that it is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The pi- the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I love therefores. My beloved brethren. Now this is interesting because he's talking to a bunch of goofballs. Okay, this is the Corinthian church. That if you could mess it up, they messed it up. That's why there's so many chapters in this epistle. Because he had so many things to cover. And he says, My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It's not for nothing. And then the writer of Hebrews popped in, God's not so unjust to forget the good that you've done. He says, whatever you're doing right now, keep doing it. Do things, do them better, do them bigger, do them more complete. In verse 52 of Luke 24 now, And they, after worshiping Him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You might mark that in their Bibles. In your Bibles, one of the things that they actually carried out His command. You know? He said, what did he say? Go back to Jerusalem and wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay, they just saw the ascension, 2451, and so what did they do? They packed up and went to Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Okay, so they got started off in a good thing. They're starting to get it right. They are listening and they are being obedient. And they were continually in the temple praising God. Ah, it's not a new dispensation yet, is it? Still age of Israel? Okay, they've got a few more days left on there and they go to the temple all the time. And what are they doing? Praising the Lord. Because that was the place people went to to praise God. They praised Him, by the way, not only at the temple. When they went up for the feast, they sang the psalms while they were going up to the feast. So they were praising Him all the way. All the way till, till they got there and these 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 were no longer fearful men notice this these are people afraid of their own shadow a few weeks earlier okay and they were hidden away behind locked doors and they were scared to death and the lord gave the most freak, frequently repeated command fear not for i am with you and these guys it took a while to get the fear scared out of them But the fear was gone and they were in the temple praising God evidently looking for people to tell about Jesus. There's a new boldness to them. There's a new boldness. Several of the missionaries on the back wall, we've had communication with them over the last few weeks, especially about the issue with Israel and things like that. Uh, Keep praying for them. Uh, as I mentioned, one of, one of the missionaries that we work with in, in Israel, they're staying, they're not leaving. This is an opportunity. They're not trying to get out. They see it as an opportunity. Right now, they're in a good place. okay. And whenever they get the opportunities, they're going to go. And their job, they went there to minister. They went there to give people the gospel. They went there with a purpose in mind. And they're not going to be swayed by this difficulty. And what if they die? They die. <laughs> That's a special blessing to die for the cause of Christ. The things that are going on in Pakistan that we've told you about, they're uh, the still going on, not quite with the same intensity that they were back a couple of months ago. But in Pakistan, the the uh, attack on Christians is ramping up. It's ramping up in India. And I think it's getting ready to ramp up here. Uh, we've seen very little of it so far, but when the Christians come out and they're siding with the Jews, guess who's also going to be hated? We're going to be hated along with them. And it's kind of like, so what? So what? What did the Lord undergo for us? Okay, and He has asked us to endure hardship. He has asked us to, to honor Him in any circumstance we find ourselves. So if you're playing scenarios through in your head with the, all the what ifs, work in the what ifs. How am I going to stand up for Him if if my life is put on is called a question, whether or not I'll live through this event? What would I do? How would I handle it? Because the V O M is found out. That the people that prepare beforehand, and they they are the ones that are most able to handle it when it when it appears. So, why not here? The hatred of Jews and Christians, and hatred of Christianity, and they think that all the world's trouble, as Brian said, he's, a lot of the kids in the sixth grade class think that think that. The world's problems are caused by Christians. What? Not hardly. But. The hatred is coming. If the Lord tarries. And we should I don't think we should want to be raptured just to escape it. If he leaves us here there's a reason. It's a good one too. So if we face these difficulties. Let's meet them head on. Honestly, meet them head on. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your blessings, your tests, your opportunities. Thank you just for who you are. We cannot thank you enough for your amazing plan. We can't thank you enough for granting us the privilege of living at this point in history. Father, it is an exciting time as we watch you put your plan of the ages together. And it looks like drawing near to its culmination. I pray that we would have our head screwed on straight. I pray that indeed we would keep looking up and listening for the trumpet. I pray that we'd be doing what you would have us doing whenever that trumpet sounds. Father, we pray and ask all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.